Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you here this, this lovely morning. Um, seems like everybody's happy. Everybody's happy and chatty this morning. It's always a good Sunday. Uh, did everybody have a little extra time off this week? Yeah, did a little, did a little less than normal, I hope. Um, take advantage of that every chance you get, you know. That's one of the great gifts of the holidays. The chance to maybe do a little less. Uh, i tell you what, this is what I want to do this morning. We want to continue our series here that we're doing for the whole month of November called The Inward Journey. And if you haven't been here with us, uh, I'll just briefly go over sort of what we're doing uh, this month, and then we're going to pick it back up in January and February as well. So we're doing sort of a mega series here in the, uh, the next little bit. And in November, we're doing something called The Inward Journey, and then in January, we're going to pick it back up, and we're going to do something called The Outward Journey, and then in February, we're going to do something called The Communal Journey. And all three sections of this series go together, and really what we're getting at is the idea of spiritual formation, Uh, the idea that uh, everybody here is being formed into something, Uh, the idea that you have already been formed into something, and that you are currently being formed into something, and that we're primarily formed by the practices and habits that we uh, create and maintain in our lives. That's really what happens when it comes to formation. You know, uh, Everybody here has, if you want to put it this way, a personal liturgy. I don't know if you're aware of that. You're like, I'm not a liturgical person. Uh, yeah, actually you are, because that's what human beings are. Human beings are deeply, deeply religious creatures. And so we all have sort of a, a personal liturgy that we're a part of, And then over the course of months, weeks, and years, that liturgy ends up having a uh, a formational experience or a formational presence in our lives and forms us into something, you know? And so what we're trying to do here over these three months is trying to discover what are the practices, like the internal practices, the outward practices, and then the communal practices that could form us into being the sort of people who end up actually becoming like Jesus. Because here's the thing, no one will become like Jesus on accident. You know? Uh, No one will just sort of fall out of bed in the morning and then 10 years later become more like Jesus. That will not happen. Sad to say. It takes a bit of of intention. It takes journeying with the Holy Spirit. It takes journeying uh, with, uh, with Jesus in sort of an intentional manner in order to become the sort of person who's actually like them. So what we've been doing this month is we've been doing this idea of internal journeys. And what are they? Well, the internal journeys were like contemplation and meditation. That's what we talked about the first week. And then the second journey would be prayer. And then last week, uh, we talked just a little bit about fasting, oddly enough, right before Thanksgiving, which I really appreciated just the paradox there. And then this week, I want to talk to you about study. That'd be all right. I want to talk to you about the inward journey of study. And right up front, I just want to tell you, this is a guilt-free message, okay? I know as soon as I say the word study, everybody in here goes, it's going to guilt us into reading our Bible more, you know? No, this is a guilt-free message, uh, mostly because guilt 
is a terrible motivator for producing the life of Christ in you. In fact, it's the very thing that Jesus came to set you free from. So let's just go and just take all the guilt and set it aside and go, that's not really what we're going to pick up this morning. Um, and the other thing I want you to know that is not our goal here this morning, right up front, uh, when we're picking up this idea of taking a journey of study, uh, the goal in Christian study is not even to become smarter, okay? The goal is not to become a, a more academic person who can, you know, who can slice and dice the, the minutiae of theology better, you know? That's really not the goal. The goal is not that by the time you're 50, every person in here would be a proficient lecturer on the nature of God and what he's doing in the world. That's not it. And uh, the other thing I want you to know here as well is uh, here at the Vineyard, we're not against uh, the academic. We love the academy. But the point of Christian study is not that you or that every person who's decided to follow Jesus would become an academic. That's not, that's not the point. Um, the study that I'm talking about here is something slightly different. Uh, here's what I want to talk about when it comes to study this morning, and especially when we're taking up things like spiritual formation. In, in the most general sense, uh, here's what true study is all about. And not just spiritual formation, but I believe all true study. All true study is about having the courage to follow your curiosity. I think that's what real study and what real learning is all about. It's the courage, it's the courage to doggedly follow curiosity and wonder. So what does this mean when we apply it back into a, back into a spiritual formation context? Here's what I think it means. I think it means allowing our curiosity and our wonder to be fixated on Jesus. I think it means allowing our curiosity and wonder to be shaped by God. That's what I think. So true study, I believe, is actually taking up wonder. Um, I don't know about you guys, but every few years, I wake up to a new bit of wonder. This might even be a good, a, a good uh, exercise for you this week. Uh, review your life and go, what are the things that I have been fascinated by in my life? You know? And maybe like chart them down or write them out a little bit. Does anybody else have that sort of practice? Just even as I'm saying this, has anybody noticed that every three or four years you just kind of become fascinated by something else? Yeah, I do. I do. And you know what happens when I become fascinated with something? I study it. You know? And it's not even like, it's not even like somebody told me to do it. Uh, several years ago, I still remember it. It was like, um, I think it was 14 years ago, uh, I, it was at the beginning of a new year, and I told Heather, you know what I'm going to do this year? Uh, she says, what? I said, I'm going to learn about wine this year. I got fascinated by wine. And in the course of becoming fascinated about wine, I started studying wine. And nobody told me to study wine. Uh, no one put a gun to my head. No one said there's a test to be passed. No one, no one put any of these sort of like external pressures on me. It was, it was just internal. I became fascinated by wine. I started studying it. I started reading books about it. I started drinking it. I started reading everything I could find out about wine. I started learning uh, geography and history, and I learned uh, regions and subregions and producers and makers and techniques. And now I know all this sort of like useless wine jargon. Why? Because I became fascinated with it, you know? And then a few years 
After that, I became fascinated with hunting again. I don't even know why this happened. Other than it just did. I, I actually still remember the day. Uh, one afternoon, Justin called me and said, hey, I'm not doing anything today. We should go hunting. I'm like, dude, we should totally go hunting. I haven't, at, at this point, I hadn't been hunting since like I was a kid. And we went out and it was sort of a rainy November afternoon. And within 30 minutes, he and I both shot bucks. And we had them on there. It was a, it was a fascinating moment, right? And all of a sudden, this wonder reentered my life. I'm like, why have I been inside for so long? Like, what am I do-? And so then I... And, after that little bit of wonder woke up in my life, I started reading about hunting again. And, and not only reading about hunting, but like reading about how to cook those suckers. Because it occurred to me a few years ago, you know the most free-range, organic, grass-fed meat you can get on the planet is the wild stuff running around in the woods, you know? Yeah. You know, it's better than anything that's at Kroger. And so then I started studying, how do you... How do, you, how do you make this into something that respects the, the, the value of what it actually is, right? And I started finding all these dudes who could, like, make it into something amazing. Where did that come from? That's oh, just curiosity and wonder, right? Yeah. Where does true study come from? It comes from that place, that little bit of, that little bit of spark. So I follow my curiosity. And so that's what it means in a spiritual formation sense. It means... Having your curiosity and your wonder turn to Jesus or to let Jesus be the object of your wonder. All right, we'll come back to this in a minute. I want to read you one brief little passage out of the Bible this morning. This is Romans chapter 15. All right, this is just verses 1 through 4. And the truth is, it's kind of not even what we're talking about this morning. But verse 4 is really kind of wonderful and gives us a little doorway into what I'm talking about. Paul's making a much bigger argument and we don't have time to go into, but this is what he says. He says, We who are strong must be considered of those who are sensitive about things like this. Uh, Like things like like what? Uh, He's talking in Romans 14 about whether you should eat food sacrificed to idols and all this kind of stuff. Don't worry about it, all right? We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord For even Christ didn't live to please himself, as the scripture says, the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. Look at verse 4. Such things, what such things? Uh, The things that he's quoting there. This is a psalm. It's Psalm 69. Those things, such things were written in the scriptures long ago to what? To teach us, right? Like, what what is the scripture about? Like, one of the functions of the scripture is to teach us, but then look at this. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. All right, verse 4. Very, very important. Uh, There's something about developing a life of study and devotion to the scriptures that does two things in particular for us. Two things in particular. The first thing it does is that it teaches us. So if if you just get some sort of a life of study uh, going in your routine. If you get some sort of a life of study, especially as it relates to the scriptures, uh, you will be taught. You will be instructed. Uh, the second thing it does, though, uh, is maybe a bit more profound, and it is this. It gives us hope and encouragement. So to come into contact with the scriptures is actually doing a deeper excavating work, and it is, uh, it is creating in our lives the possibility for real hope and real encouragement. No, we'll get to that in just a moment. Um, let, me, let me ask you this question. How many of you understand that there are levels of teaching? Or there are levels of learning? Put it that way, right? 
there are levels of teaching. Uh, there are surface levels, and then there are deeper levels. Uh, and here's what I mean, especially as it relates to the Scriptures. Uh, you can handle the Scriptures uh, even a little bit, and you'll immediately learn stuff. You know? If you just read the Bible even this much, right away, you'll just start learning stuff. You'll get a general idea of like the arc of God's story. Uh, you'll learn the characters. You'll learn their names. Maybe a little bit of something about their personality. You'll learn places. You'll learn like important things that happen. Uh, you might learn some geography. You might learn a little history here and there. Uh, you might have your heart touched by some poetry. You'll learn things right away. Not only that, but you'll eventually, if you stick with it, you'll start to see, you'll start to see themes. And one of the things you'll notice in the Bible is there's all these things that sort of like happen over and over, and then there's echoes of things. Like there'll be something that happens in Genesis, and then it's literally echoed through the rest of the Bible. You know? You'll start picking up on it. Uh, can I tell you something? All of that is just surface learning. It's like, it's like, it's like putting your shovel into the ground one foot deep. You know? Is it important? Yes. Should you do it? Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's just surface learning. Uh, it doesn't mean it's not important. It absolutely is. But the gold is underneath. Now, if you'll permit me to change metaphors for just a moment, uh, that kind of learning is the foundation. And how many of you understand that, uh, that no one praises a foundation? No one goes to a building and looks at the foundation and goes, this is an impressive foundation. You know? No one takes pictures of the foundation and like, uh, sends them home to their parents while they're on vacation, right? No, the foundation's purpose is, is to hold something up on top that's glorious, right? And so you got to keep building, or you have to keep digging to find the gold, or you have to keep building on that foundation for something to come out of the ground. And um, that's where the money is, you know? Uh, the gold of learning or the spires of, of a cathedral of learning and study, they come later. Uh, here's the other thing I want you to understand, uh, that the gold of learning, the stuff that's deep in the ground, it's not in the pithy quotes that you may be able to form later on. You know? Uh, the, the, really, the really revelatory stuff that people ooh and ah over on Twitter, most of it is still just surface. It's not even the point. You know, um, uh, the stuff that people ooh and I over in sermons, 98% of it, not the point. Seriously, not the point. Still just surface <laughs> stuff. It's not, it's not even in the understanding. It's something quite different. Um, in the particular scripture that we just looked at in Romans chapter 15, the gold is stuff like hope and encouragement. That's the gold. That's the, that's the great cathedral that could be laid upon a foundation of surface learning. The surface is the story and the details. The gold is the hope and the encouragement. The foundation, the foundation is like the narrative arc and a few pithy quotes for Twitter. The gold is hope and encouragement for your soul. So this is the goal of study, to engage the scriptures to the point that we're actually able to extract these, uh, these gems from the ground. This is the part of the scriptures, this is part of what the scriptures hold out to us. Um, it's the promise that if we would attend to them, there would be a reward in our souls. Uh, did you notice 
that the gold or deeper learning offered to us here is in the realm of the soul? Look at that. Hope and encouragement. Hope and encouragement. See, hope and encouragement are not qualities that simply exist in an intellectual domain. And hope and encouragement are not academically perceived or experienced. They are descriptors of the soul. So part of what we have to grab hold of here is that the interior journey of study is not principally about having our cognitive abilities sharpened. It's not about being filled up with static facts. You know, It's about something more. Uh, and this is, this is really huge. This is a part of our internal formation that will only come by study or consistent engagement with the Scriptures. If this is something that the t- Scriptures are teaching, then this must be something that we need to learn. Now, when I use uh, the words teaching and learning here or this morning, um, what I want you to think What I want you to think of when I use those words is I want you to think more of apprenticeship and less about school. Right? Why? Because for most of us, school is conjuring up images that are not super positive and aren't always beneficial. Right? But there's another way of learning, and it's the way of apprenticeship. I want you to to think of um, maybe the way a young man might have at one point in his life apprenticed under a blacksmith, you know? And there was no blacksmith book. You just went to the blacksmith shop and he handed you a hammer, right? And he told you to hold the hammer and don't do anything for like a month, <laughs> right? Just what's the first part? Watch me, you know? The second part is I'm going to let you do a little something, you know? And I'm going to critique you. And then the third part is I'm going to do a little something while... I'm going to let you do something while I'm not here. You know, I'll come back and we'll talk about it. Yeah, That's, that is the, the idea that I want us to have when we think about engaging the scriptures or engaging a life of study. It's less about sitting in some sort of an academic classroom and it's more about engaging in an apprenticeship. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is this. Coming to church won't do this for you. you know? I think you should come to church. But coming to church won't do this for you. Uh, Listening to my sermons, it won't grow this in your life. It won't. Uh, Singing worship music will not grow this thing in your life. Uh, I guess what I'm trying to get at is is, uh, there's something that's available to us in the Scriptures. Hope and encouragement, and honestly, a, a longer list than that. Stuff that happens in the soul. It's available to us in the Scriptures, and it is, if I can say this way, it's a doorway into these sort of gems that is literally not open anywhere else. You know? There's not, a, there's not a sermon that will give you what consistent like life of study and apprenticeship in the Word of God will do for you. There, there's not a worship song that will do it. Uh, there's, not a, there's not a meeting. And, and God knows there's not a conference that will do this for you. You know? It just won't happen. Okay, so how do we start? How do we start? How do you build a life of study? How do you build a life of study? Um, I think the best way, and we've already mentioned this, but I just want to underline this like a hundred times. I think the best way is to follow your curiosity. Follow your curiosity. 
Let, let, let your wonder and your curiosity be formed by God. That's the starting point. Um, this means, I believe, and so, this is so basic, I think this means like starting with the parts of the Bible that interest you and spark your curiosity. Do you have a part of the Bible that's like sort of interesting to you? I hope you do. If you don't, you might be thinking, well, I, I'm so new or I'm so out of the loop, I don't even know. I don't even have a part of the Bible that I find particularly interesting or curious. You know, I'm like, I just think of the Bible and I think, ugh, you know? So what do I do there? Well, would you take my suggestions? Okay? Here are some suggestions for really interesting, curious, and wonder-sparking portions of the Bible. All right? Are you ready? You should write this down. Get out your smartphone. Okay? Uh, Number one, the book of Genesis. Like, the book of Genesis is ridiculous, okay? Like, if, 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 I were going to take, if I were going to take one of the books out of the Bible and keep it with me for the rest of my life, if somebody told me that I had to throw the rest of the Bible away and I could only have one book of the Bible, I might take Genesis. I'm not saying I would take Genesis, but I'm saying I might take Genesis. It's that good. Like, all of the stories that you, that you sort of, like, associate with the Bible, they're actually all in Genesis, Right? They're, it's ridiculous. It's amazing. And it's kind of long, and it never gets boring, and it's awesome. So start with Genesis. Okay, what else? Uh, Exodus. It's like the second book of the Bible. Like, also, crazy interesting. Burning bush stuff. Ten plagues. I mean, it's just really, really interesting. And here's what's funny about both of these books. Genesis and Exodus, they are books that are open to multiple forms of interpretation. Which, by the way, once you start feeling the liberty to interpret them many, many ways, uh, the interest and the wonder goes up profoundly. You know, there is there is a way of reading uh, Genesis and Exodus that's like very flat. It's just like a story. It's like, well, God made it, and then people ruined it, and then and then then they built a tower, and then they then they all spoke in another language, and then Abraham, and then Joseph is in a pit. And then there's a burning bush, and then there's plagues, and there's frogs. You know, you could read it like that, but then there's this other way of reading it that we don't have time to go into here. And once you kind of like begin to excavate down into that, the wonder in this book goes way, way up. And you start realizing, I don't know what these books are, but they are gifts of like extreme value and worth. So where else might you go? Genesis and Exodus, like you have to have those. You, you can't even do this stuff without them, okay? You've got to have them. Um, two other books, like profoundly curious and wonder-sparking books. First and Second Samuel. Like you can't even have the Bible without these books, okay? Why? What is First and Second Samuel? Um, that's the story of David. This is a crazy story, okay? It's the story of Saul and David and all of his kids. There's a lot of stuff in there. And if you're, if you're new to the scriptures, I almost recommend starting with First and Second Samuel only because the narrative lays out so wonderful, okay? The narrative is so freaking good. It is so good, okay? Uh, and, then, and then what else? Uh, I'll throw a couple others in there just, just because. Um, the Gospel of John. Like all the Gospels are good. I just think the Gospel of John's better. Uh, is that mean it is better? No, just, I just think it's better, Okay? Uh, if, you're, if you're new to the Bible and you want to read about Jesus and you're like, I don't know if I can get through it, man, just start with the Gospel of Mark. It's really short and Jesus kicks butt everywhere he goes. 
He does. It's, and everything happens immediately. And my favorite thing about the Gospel of Mark is all the demons are in church. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Like Jesus kicks out more demons in the Gospel of Mark than pretty much any other gospel. And in every single instance, almost with exception of one, all the demons are in church. I think that's hysterical. And the Gospel of Mark is full of little stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. Those, that's like six good choices. Genesis, Exodus, First and Second Samuel, Mark and John. Start there. Like I'm telling you, wonder will sparkle up in your life. You'll wonder, what is this? All right. What else do you do to like engage wonder um, in a life of study? Write down some of your questions about God, about life, the Bible, or, or whatever else. Just write them down. Anybody here have questions? And not, not like, you know, how do I become a millionaire? You know, it's like, okay. Like actual interesting questions, you know? Some, those are some boring questions, like really interesting questions. Like really hard questions even, you know? Um, don't limit yourself when you're doing this. Don't limit yourself to encouraging questions or encouraging passages or themes. Like just whatever it is. Like, like even, even the thing you're sort of afraid to ask. Write that down. Why? Because uh, oftentimes our questions are wonderful doorways into a world of curiosity and study and, 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 and finding things you didn't know existed. You know? You just need to give yourself permission. Okay, so first thing, engage your curiosity. Okay, second thing, what else can you do to like build a life of study? Get a Bible reading app. There's like 55,000 of them now, you know? Um, there's like Bible reading apps where you can read the whole Bible in a year, you know? And you just wake up in the morning that says, hey, read this, and if you keep doing that, by the time you get done in the year, you'll have the whole thing whipped. Um, that won't work for a lot of us in the room, but there are some of us who just, you just, you sometimes just need, you need somebody to, to tell you what to do and you need a plan. Anybody here need just like, you, you know, like I'm a person who needs a plan, you know? Yeah, dude, just get a Bible reading app and follow the plan. That's it. Okay, what else can you do to build a life of study? This is actually a huge one. So simple, but it's so huge. Uh, get a friend, get a friend to read uh, a portion of the Bible with you. And I don't mean necessarily like reading it in the moment. Sometimes that gets a little awkward. I mean, it's fine. I don't like that as much. I mean, like, like get a friend, call a friend on the phone and go, you know what, will you, read, will you read this book of the Bible with me? And they'll go, yeah. And then, hey, can we get together once of the week and then we'll just talk about that book of the Bible together? Uh, can I tell you something? There are lots of people here at this church who've been doing this for a long time and it's not even a part of our official home groups. They're rogue, Okay. Yeah. Um, it's amazing how reading the Bible, even with one other person and talking about it, uh, especially if the other person is an open, generous, and free person who's not afraid of your questions or your own objections with the Bible, and you can engage some conversation there, it will spark more wonder. Because in, invariably, another person will always read the text different than you. It's great. Um, again, uh, to be slightly autobiographical here, there's a text thread on my phone. There's a couple of them, but there's one in particular. It, it never stops. Isn't that right, Ray? It literally never stops. It sometimes drives my wife crazy. <laughs> yeah, She's like, who's texting? I'm like, ah, you know who it is. Okay, 
But there's this text thread and it never stops. And the text thread is a lot of different things. It's a lot of different things. But one of the things this text thread always is, always is, every single week, there will be some explosion about some portion of the Bible nearly every single week. And what's funny is how life-giving and affirming other people's reading of the same text is. You want to have a life of study? Don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. Okay. Um, what number am I on now? One, two, three, four. Number four. Um, building a life of study. Occasionally, this is just occasionally, depending on the you know, sort of makeup of who you are. Occasionally, read a little theology. And, and, and don't go for like the, don't even go for the easy stuff. Like occasionally, pick up something that's like a little intimidating. Why? Um, it is really, really surprising how many beautiful moments of formation are contained in books that we thought were for other people. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, I can't tell you how many times this has happened in my own life, you know? And it doesn't mean that you have to even read the whole thing. Like, get a theology book and, and read it for a week. And, if, and then after a week, if you're like, you know what? That's probably maybe enough. That's fine. But, but come back to it at some point. Um, let me tell you one book that's a perfect example. Now, you may eventually get this book and think, this is crazy. But one of the most surprising books I ever read, and it is theology, and it is beautiful, and it made me cry, and it made me, uh, it made me uh, laugh for joy, uh, is a book, by, uh, it's a book by this guy called Moltmann. Everybody say Moltmann. Doesn't that sound official? Yeah. Anyway, it's a book called The Crucified God by Moltmann. I, I just can't even recommend this book enough, okay? Why? It is filled with wonder. It is filled with wonder. And at, at the end of The Crucified God, you might even be like, I don't even know if I believe everything that Moltmann says. Well, that's fine. That's not even the point. I will promise you this. If you attend to this book even a little bit, it will make you love Jesus more, and it will make you feel more included by God than you have ever felt in your life, especially if you've been a loser, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of the point of the whole book, the crucified God. It is that Jesus Christ has 100% always and forever identified with the least, the lost, the losers, uh, the people who have ever been killed, the people who have ever been murdered, the people who have ever been overlooked, the people who have ever been shamed. This is who God is for us. God is not, a, is not a king on a throne who's bossing people around. God is the most vulnerable person on the universe who became naked for your benefit. I mean, it, it is a book that will stricken your heart with goodness. Okay, occasionally read a little theology. Okay, um, no, I don't know what number I'm on now. Five, thank you. Um, if you want to build a real life of study and keep the wonder going, uh, here, here's a, a good one. Occasionally read or, or engage with people you don't agree with. It's really, really easy to get locked inside of theological echo chambers. You know? It's really, it's really easy to get accustomed to a particular line of thinking. And that can get really boring. It can get really boring. You, we need to engage. I, I think one of the things America needs more than anything right now is engagement with people they disagree with. You know, and not just shouting matches either, but like actual engagement with people they disagree with. Uh, you, should, you should read somebody from the other team occasionally. You know? Uh, in January... Um, in January, uh, I, I got uh, John Calvin's Institutes. That's these giant books. Okay, anybody here know who John Calvin is? Okay, John Calvin, like 
one of the most famous theologians who's ever lived, uh, 500 years ago, major, like, major Reformation guy, you know? Uh, anybody here ever heard of Calvinism, the ism that was named after him? Anyway, uh, I profoundly disagree with Calvin on almost everything, okay? Almost everything. And I spent a good portion of the first half of this year reading the Institutes. And you know what? I still disagree with him on almost everything. But you know what? I learned some stuff. And here's some things I didn't know. I didn't realize how devotional John Calvin's writing style was. Uh, one of the things I've come away with after reading the Institutes is, okay, theologically, I don't agree on a ton of stuff. But you know what? There was something in this man that was deeply and profoundly touched by Jesus. And he wrote every word in love and devotion to Jesus Christ. Like you can feel it in the text, right? I was so touched by that. Yeah. Man, engaging people we disagree with, this is especially important in an internet age where we can find endless supplies of content that agrees with our current worldview. You know? Uh, you know if you, on the internet right now, if you don't ever want to be challenged, you don't have to. You know? You can find preachers and articles, and you can find uh, news sources that always only ever agree with you. Uh, it, it'll ultimately... It'll be destructive for your soul. We actually need engagement with the other. Okay. Probably need to pick up this question because it's important. Especially if we're talking about building a life of study. Um, some of us in the room are thinking, oh, this is all great, Adam, but this sounds boring. <laughs> it's great. It's great. But what about boredom? What about boredom? Uh, I think that's the word that keeps most of us from becoming uh, people of study. Because we just we associate the word study with like school, you know, and a lot of us are not school people. Some of us here are school people, but probably half or more people in the room are not school people. Like you went, but you're like, I'm not a school person, you know? Okay. And, and, and so some of the boring thing comes from uh, we assume study uh, means reading as an assignment or that there's, an, there's some sort of a test coming. Well, I just want to tell you. Uh, the good news is there's no test coming. <laughs> there's no multiple choice test coming. Uh, there, are no, there are no multiple choice tests in heaven. It's not, it's not going to happen. Okay, So we can just let that go. Um, and study doesn't have to be a middle school classroom either. Um, if for no other reason, uh, and I think this is really important, like Christian study is ultimately, it's a place to have a meeting with God. Uh, the Holy Spirit wants to reveal God to us by any means necessary. And one of his favorite places and ways is the scriptures themselves. So a better, a better approach to study, uh, rather than a classroom, is it's more like meeting with a friend. And I think we have to sort of like build this expectation. That every time we set our hearts to approach God devotionally, that God is already there and he, he wants to meet us. Right? It's probably also good to acknowledge that maybe boredom could just be a part of life, right? You know, some of us do everything that we can to avoid boredom. And in fact, we've been formed over these last uh, years. Like, everything is boredom avoidance, right? It's boredom avoidance, boredom avoidance, boredom avoidance, you know? Uh, I need more games on my phone so that I don't get bored, you know? I need more apps on my phone so that I don't get bored. I need, I need more shows so that I don't get bored. And so everything in life is sort of trying to protect us from boredom. 
And what if we just sort of acknowledge that boredom is a healthy and good portion of life that will eventually happen to anything that's good that we really love no matter what? Like, it's just, what if that's part of the rhythm, you know? Right? Um, Man, some of the things that I love most occasionally become boring. Like, I really love playing guitar. And occasionally it's just really boring. You know? Just get sick of it. I love talking about sports. And occasionally it becomes boring. Here's what I've noticed about boredom. I've noticed that boredom, for me, comes from two different places. Uh, Number one, it it comes from being married to one approach too much. You know? It's like, well, I've got my way, you know? I've got my way, and this is how I do it, and this is what I do, and I just do it, and I just keep doing that. Yeah, if we become really concretely anchored in one approach, like too much, it it will eventually become boring. Um, I know that this happened to me in prayer. I, I, prayer just became the, like, I was avoiding it because it was so boring. And um, my spiritual director said, well, why are you praying like that? He said, no, he said, how are you praying? And so I told him how I'd pray, and he goes, well, why are you doing that? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, change it. And here's what's funny. I had been praying one way so long, I couldn't even creatively think of another way to pray. Right? And so I said, well, you tell me how to pray. And so... So my spiritual director gave me a new way to pray, and it was like very simple. And I just, he just said, hey, do this. And so I'm like, man, that's great. Because occasionally I have to make so many decisions. I don't want to make any decisions anymore. I just want somebody to tell me what to do. And so he gave me like a way to pray. And, and listen, it, all it was was just a new way into the same house, right? But it, it made all the difference. I got rid of my old approach, a new way of doing an old thing. Yes. Yeah. Boredom comes from... Being married to one approach too much. Okay, the second place that boredom comes from, for me anyway, it, it, it comes from becoming too deeply entrenched in challenge. I have to explain this just a little bit. Okay, uh, if, you, if true study has to do with uh, following your wonder and following your curiosity, how many of you understand that eventually your wonder and curiosity will take you to a place that's challenging? You know? Uh, how many of you have ever been to like a, a planetarium or something and you're like, this is beautiful. And you get all filled with wonder and you're like, I'm going to read a science book. And, like, and you say, you're, like, you're like, God, this is hard, right? It's like, can, I just want to see the movie, <laughs> you know? I don't want to know anything about physics anymore. Just, just give me the 30-minute the movie with the pretty pictures, you know? Yeah. That's one of the things that wonder will always do is it will take you to a place that's challenging. And if we stay in challenge land too long, uh, sometimes we will disengage. We'll call it, it's actually not boredom, but we'll call it boredom. And really all it is is that uh, it's so challenging that we need, uh, we need help to get through the challenge and we don't have anyone there, so we call it boredom and we leave. That's what happens to me, right? Yeah. Um, I know that when it comes to like being a Jesus person or a Jesus apprentice or, or someone who's trying to like have a, some sort, something of a life of study, like my wonder with God and my wonder with Jesus has led me down certain paths. I've followed them, and then you get down a certain path, and then you realize, oh, I have all kinds of questions. And so like I'm excited about the questions. And then I begin to dig in on the questions. It's like, this is really fun. And then all of a sudden, I get into the deep, deep waters because all the questions go to very deep waters. Let me just tell you, they always do, right? And then you get stuck there and you're like, I don't know how to, I'm saying, I kind of know how I got here, but I don't know how to get out of here, right? 
Yeah, and if you stay there for too long, you'll call it boredom, when really what you need is you need a guide in that place, right? Yeah. Again, another reason to build a life of study, but not as a solo event. It's got to be with other people. Because some people know how to get you out of those moments. Okay. Becoming too married to approach or too deeply entrenched in challenge. Too deeply entrenched in challenge. Uh, here's what's really interesting. Here's the, the huge paradox. If you don't have an approach to study, and if there's no challenge eventually or occasionally in your study, guess what will also happen? You'll get bored. Yeah. So if we go in those directions too long or too far, you'll get bored. And if we don't have them, you'll get bored. So what do you do? Uh, I'm just going to let you guys figure that out. Because I don't know what you do about that. I'm just telling you what it is. Okay. What's the lasting key, though, for building a life of study? I think the lasting key is to read the Bible with Jesus. I want to read another scripture to you. If we can put this up. This is Luke 24. You've got to read the Bible with Jesus. Sort of a famous story. This is the Road to Emmaus stuff. Jesus has been crucified. He has been resurrected. These two guys don't know it. This is where we pick the story up there. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that just happened. What? Jesus being killed. And they don't know he's back alive, okay? Uh, and as they talked, they discussed these things. And then Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. See, that, that phrase right there should spark wonder and curiosity. It's like, how does that happen? Okay, he just appeared. And I love this. But God kept them from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short. Sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. It's, this is high comedy, okay? Look at verse 19. What things? Jesus asked, right? The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped that he was the Messiah who would come to rescue Israel. These, all of these things happened three days ago. Then some women from our group uh, of followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and that they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body is gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe that all the prophets, uh, all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures, wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And by the time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey, Jesus acted as if he was going on. But they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them and they sat down to eat. He took the bread and blessed it and then he broke it and gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. At that moment, he disappeared. Okay, look, you, okay. I, I, I have like a hundred questions already, don't you? 
Okay, so apparently he can appear, he can disappear. Uh, people's eyes are open in the breaking of bread. Like, that's a, like every time we have communion here, it, we should like be seeing something new. Like, you know? uh, then look at what 32. Then they said to her, each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? Yeah. All right, so if you want to build a life of study, like what's the main thing? Like forget all the other stuff. If you forget everything else I told you, which was pretty decent, but if you forget all of that, what is the main thing you have to remember? I, don't read your Bible alone, right? Read it with Jesus. Uh, let me just say it this. If Jesus will show up to two random dudes walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, would he not come to your house? Right? And apparently he can appear. Mm. Like if those guys got a burning heart, could, could we also have burning hearts? Yeah, I, I, think it's, I think one of the things that we need to do in building a devotional life of like study and uh, having some sort of a life in the scriptures is, man, just to sort of change our mindset into the mindset of, I'm going to read this with Jesus. Expecting him to come to us. Uh, what does that mean practically? I think the first thing it means is having some sort of an awareness of Jesus' presence. Like to actually pause and wait for it. Expect it. Like Jesus wants to take you through the scriptures. That's what he wants to do. Um, I think the other thing it means, practically speaking too, is this. I think it means reading every text through the lens of Jesus and looking for him everywhere. And I'll just tell you, there are some Bible scholars who will tell you don't do that. Uh, I just want to tell you, as your pastor, don't listen to those Bible scholars. <laughs> Look for Jesus everywhere. Uh, I used to get in trouble in Bible school all the time because I would be reading the Old Testament and I would see Jesus. You know, there'd be echoes of Jesus and my Bible professor would tell us, don't do that, you know, like it was illegal interpretation. That's foolishness. Find Jesus everywhere. Look for Jesus everywhere. Look for Jesus in Genesis. He's there. Jesus is in Genesis. Oh, here's one place he's in Genesis. I mean, he's all over Genesis. Here's, here's like my favorite spot that he's in, Gen in Genesis. Okay, so in Genesis, uh, there's this story. There's a lot of stories. There's this one story, uh, and there's this dad, and the dad had a bunch of sons, but he had this one son who was his favorite son, right? And he gave him the best coat. And his brothers got jealous, and they all beat him up, and they threw him out to die into a hole, and they sold him to slave traders in Egypt. You know, you could just read it. That'd be like, you know, if we just read it, that'd be just like one surface level reading. You know, we could just read that and go, oh, it's Joseph, you know. And that's Joseph in the coat of many colors, right? But if you want to get down to the gold where the hope and the encouragement is, uh, you kind of have to let Jesus read that with you. And you have to realize uh, that Jesus is his, 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 his own father's favorite son. Am I right? Jesus is his father's favorite son who came to his brothers and his brothers, what? Rejected him, right? And they beat him up and they, and they, they didn't just leave him for dead. They actually killed him, right? Uh, but the father would not, would not leave him in the hole. Joseph was literally laid into the ground, right? When Joseph, when you read in Genesis that Joseph was put into the ground and was brought out of the ground, you have to hear Jesus. You have to hear Jesus. You have to read it with the Lord, 
Yeah, there's echoes of Jesus all over this book. Yeah. We have to build a life of study, and in order to do that, we need to expect that the presence of Jesus would be with us in the reading and in the study. And we also have to look for Jesus everywhere. I mean, we could play this game all day long. And it, here's the other part. It's always anointed. Like, when you start doing it, it's all, you, you feel it. It's like, oh. Yeah. This is ultimately one of the reasons I believe the Bible. Because nobody could put a book together like this. You know? You couldn't do it. Like, if you were like, I'm going to write the most brilliant story ever that's going to be a religious text, and it's going to, it's going to have more... Uh, it's going to have more literary tie-ins and be such a beautiful representation of this thing I'm trying to say, you would never be able to write it. You would, you would not. You'd write something beautiful, it'd be amazing, people's hearts would be touched. It wouldn't do this. Okay. Amen? Amen. So I've been a little long today. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please accept my apology. Are we good? All right. Hey, stand up this morning. And if you're on the ministry team, come on up. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.